be used grammatically in connection to God. Grammatically, you can never use this word for humans because humans never create anything. We only fashion things, right? We can take something that was already created and fashion it and make it into something else, but we can't create it from nothing, right? However, this word, bara, in Hebrew, actually alludes to creation of something from nothing. The Torah's narrative of creation is meant to, direct, to directly establish that God is the sovereign of the entire universe. Unlike other creation accounts circulating around the ancient Near East at the time, the biblical account makes no attempt to explain the origin of God or to try to persuade the listener that God exists. Instead, the existence of God is understood as an axiomatic fact. Therefore, it immediately jumps to the explanation of God's creation of heaven and earth. The intention of Genesis is to provide a theological account of creation and not a scientific one. It's not meant to be in, uh, in conflict. It's simply meant to point out everything that exists has its origin in God. Which leads us back to this opening phrase, So much, as I mentioned, is packed into this one phrase. And there are actually different ways to even interpret this. And when we say in the beginning is actually not the most accurate way to translate this verse. Instead, just to nerd out on you guys for a second. <laughs> so everybody see this et here and this et over here, right? And then the ha and ha. That's where the definite article is, meaning if you re remember back to like all your, your grammar, is that the definite article is what the point of the, the, it's the point of the sentence, right? And so it does not put the definite article where English does. In English, puts the first definite article where? On in the beginning, right? What does that imply? When you say in the beginning, what are you implying? That that's the beginning, right? When you say in the beginning, you're implying that that's the beginning. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says that this is only the beginning of heaven and earth. It's a discussion of, it'd be better to say either when God began to create the heavens and the earth, or you could say in the beginning of God's creation of heaven and earth. But when you imply in the beginning, you're implying that's the beginning. It's interesting because the rabbis recognize that it's not saying this is the beginning, then it opens up questions like, so what was before this? And why does God create this and say this was good? Was there something that was not? Again, this is all speculation. We don't know. Because in reality, just like it says in Deuteronomy, that the things that have been revealed to us belong to us and our children, but the things that belong to God belong to God. This is why the rabbis say, what is the very first letter in the Aleph Beit? Aleph. What letters does the Torah begin with? Beit. What sound does Aleph make? Nowadays, we're told it's a silent letter, right? It's that mysterious, mystical unknown that we're not yet supposed to know everything about. And so the rabbis say that the reason why the Torah begins with the letter Beit is because that's what's been revealed to us. The Aleph which is always associated with God, is to God. And the bait belongs to us. 
And also when you see in a Torah scroll, kind of like it is here, the bait is always written bigger than all the other letters. And we discussed this on Simchat Torah. And so why is that? There are various reasons, but one of the reasons is that the bait kind of serves as almost a, a blockade, right? To block us from trying to really understand in our own limited human capacity what really was before that. Because even what's been revealed to us, we think we have it all figured out. Trust me, you listen to most Bible commentators and they've got the whole thing figured out with the charts and the graphs and the everything. Instead of recognizing the Torah is far more mysterious than we want to give it credit for. I'm not saying that they're not things that we can understand, but I think we need to be careful that we don't take ourselves and our own understanding too seriously. Because there are many ways that we could translate this. Another way that you could translate this is with beginnings. God created. It's one of the ways that the Midrash discusses. Because everything in life, you can just black that out. Thank you very much. Everything in life obviously has a beginning. And although there are times when things seem to just fall into place, the reality is that most beginnings are not easy. This phrase is, and this reality is what led the author Chaim Potok to begin one of his most famous novels with the phrase, all beginnings are hard. A phrase that is then repeated over and over again within his book. Potok actually drew this idea from the rabbis of the Talmud who characterized all beginnings as being difficult. And Rashi, drawing from this in his commentary on Exodus 19.5, says, Shekol ha'hit chalot, shekol hit chalot kashot. All beginnings are difficult. The most obvious difficult beginning is that of childbirth itself, right? I think of the experience that we had. Really, it's my wife. I was just there as, I'm not even sure, moral support, but... Um, <laughs> It was a traumatic period for us. And rather than reliving all of the, the events that led to it, let's just say it definitely wasn't a normal experience and it wasn't what we expected. And Monique had to be rushed off into the operating room for one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, not knowing what was going on as uh, our son's heart rate just crashed in the middle of uh, when she was pushing. And so, no, well, it was, uh, anyway, it was, Anyway, it's, the point is, it was difficult. <laughs> Throughout the Torah, rather than getting myself in trouble, I'm just going to move on. So, <laughs> it's what every smart person does, right? <laughs> Throughout the Torah, we see over and over again difficult beginnings. Even with creation, with Adam and Eve, and quickly things run amok. Joseph, things are hard before they ever get easy, right? And as we're introduced to the Jewish people, we were first led into slavery and then birthed through the birthing canal of the Sea of Reeds. But even before we can experience the fullness of messianic redemption, we must still struggle through the pangs of exile. It's always difficult before it gets easy. All beginnings are hard because often they're meant to build character. Often God, God uses the most difficult things in our lives in order to work something new within us to birth a new beginning. 
However, our modern society does not like association or does not like to associate a concept of spirituality with pain, struggle, or something that's expected of them. In fact, even talking about a creator can be a little controversial with so many people live or want to live as though there is no creator. My good friend and colleague, Rabbi Russ Resnick, wrote an excellent commentary this week for the UMJC, wherein he notes, some folks are doctrinal atheists, convinced that God does not exist at all, but even more are practical atheists. They're not dogmatic about the non-existence of God and may well be open to the idea that there's something or maybe even someone out there beyond our limited materialistic horizons. But it's a God concept so vague as to be mostly irrelevant to real life. Others are more positive about God, but define him after their own understanding, which usually means a God who doesn't demand a lot. Rabbi Resnick goes on to state, a few years back, sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism in their book, Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. If you can throw that up there. And in this study, after interviewing approximately 3,000 teenagers, they found broad consensus on five core beliefs. A God who exists, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That was like a general consensus among these 3,000 teenagers. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. What's the challenge of this? It's extremely vague. The problem, as Rabbi Russ highlights, is that this kind of a generic religion might draw on scripture, but can hardly be said to be in line with it. Furthermore, since such vague spiritual conceptions are so common today, often before we can talk about Yeshua with anyone, we usually have to first begin with a conversation about God, whether there is a God, or about a personal purposeful God versus a vaguely imagined higher power. You can turn that off. I see this all the time, especially when you talk with people who are involved in, in working with Jewish people. Often in the category that we call Jewish evangelism, there's still this old mindset from back in like the 30s and 40s that if you want to talk to Jewish people about Yeshua, you first, you know, you quote all this scripture and you show them the messianic passages and all that stuff and somehow that's going to win them to faith in Yeshua. Why does that not work often? I'm not saying that it can't, but why does it usually not work? Because most of the people you're talking to don't even necessarily believe the Bible is true, so it doesn't matter, in what, it doesn't matter what's in it, right? In Rabbi Russ's words, to put this in other terms, before we can talk about redemption, we need to talk about creation. Sometimes we strike out in trying to tell people about redemption because they're not even convinced about creation. 
If there's no overriding and compelling meaning to human existence, then what do we need to be redeemed from or for? It makes sense, right? If you don't even believe there's even a purpose to all of this, then the other stuff doesn't even matter. Most people, even many who claim to be ardent believers and familiar with the Bible, have ideas about God that are not actually compatible with the biblical text. As we progress through this next year's cycle through the Bible, I hope that we will really begin this new season with a fresh sense of expectation and openness and a willingness to let God work within us to tear down misconceptions we have and replace them with his proper understanding, even when it challenges our preconceptions. So let this be a new beginning for us. As we talked about earlier, that one of the ways you can translate that opening phrase is with beginnings God created. A new beginning means new challenges to overcome. Often God uses the most difficult things in our lives to work something new in us, to birth a new beginning. I can think about, and one of the things I'm often reminded of, is when I began my studies to be a rabbi. I talked about, when I first came here a few months ago, that in August of 97, I packed up my little tiny red Nissan pickup truck. I had no plan, I, I didn't know. All I knew is I got accepted into a program that used to be housed here at Beth Amunah called the Messianic Mentoring Institute. And it was the only thing that existed at the time to train people who wanted to be rabbis. Mel was a part of that. I don't know, what, Mel's probably in the other room. But uh, I didn't start off by, it wasn't like when you came into the congregation that Rabbi Murray said, here you go, you get you know, access to the bima, you get to you know, teach and do all this kind of stuff. Instead, you sat and you learned and you heard and you slowly began to take on other responsibilities. But there's one thing early that I will never forget, is that there was one time I saw Rabbi Murray rushing off with the plunger to the, to the women's bathroom, because in that time, we had to plunge that one of those toilets all the time. Linda's laughing because she remembers. And Rabbi Murray once handed me the plunger, and he said, do you know how to plunge a toilet? And I said, of course I do. And he said, so get in there, right? <laughs> and the but he told something that has always lasted, that if you're not willing to plunge toilets, then you have no place in ministry. Because if you're not willing to do the difficult stuff to start in the difficult place, then you can't expect for God to move you on to something else. This is the lesson of Yeshua. Those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. Often people want something big to be dropped into their laps, but the reality is they're not even ready for it when it happens. And then they crash and burn. And then what happens when that, when that happens? We shake our fists at God and blame God. In James chapter 1, one of my favorite books in the Brichadashah. He says, Regard it all joy, my holiest brothers and sisters, when you face various kinds of trials and temptations. 
For you know that the testing of your trust produces perseverance. But let perseverance do its complete work so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. When life throws you under the bus, throws you a curveball, or knocks you down to the ground, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's easy to want to shake our fists at God and give up. But you can also let these difficult times birth something new within you, to build character, to push you forward. Often we look back at the hardest times in our lives and see God working behind the scenes. But while we were actually going through those beginnings, it was difficult to actually even sense God was even there, right? When we're in a desert experience, what is the first thing people say? I don't feel like there's, I don't, I don't feel God's presence. I don't hear God speaking to me. The problem is we live in a world that says feelings determine truth. If I feel it, therefore it's true. But the reality is so much happens in life that is true whether or not we feel it. There are times I don't feel the presence of God. It doesn't mean that the presence of God is not there. There are times I feel that I'm not loved. It doesn't mean nobody loves me. There are times I feel nobody understands. Nobody ever does. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just what we think, right? But you have not been abandoned. All beginnings are hard. It's time to regather our strength, recollect our thoughts, and get back up, dust ourselves off, and keep going. So I hope that will challenge us, that when things are difficult, to not to give up, to not to give in to the temptation to just throw it all away, but rather to press on. Because that's what Paul writes, right? Press on to the to the goal that lies ahead so that you may run the race and in the end hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Rabono Shalom, master of the universe. We come before you today, God, and we're challenged just by the reality that there's so much we don't understand. And at the same time, we're distracted by so much in life that keeps us from really accomplishing what we've been called to and what our purpose is. We all have jobs and bills and stresses, things that bombard us, but help us not to lose focus. Help us not to stumble. And when we do, help us to, get, to jump back up, dust ourselves off and keep going. For you are with us, you guide us. Our path is in your hands, whether we like it or not. Because either way, we'll end up going where we're supposed to, hopefully. But as we do so, help us not to stray too far to the right or to the left, but to remain as true as possible to the path that you've put before us, God. Because it doesn't just concern ourselves. It concerns those around us, our world. As we prepare for however long it's going to be for the return of our Messiah, but that we will be ready when that time comes. 
Barchenu avinu kulanu ke'echad. Bless us, our Father, all of us as one, by the light of your countenance. And as you, Yeshua, said, may we be one, as you and the Father are one, so that we can encourage one another, we can support one another, speak life to one another. And when we feel ourselves going off the rails, that we can reach out to other people who can help us stay on the path. Thank you, God. Thank you for Shabbat. Thank you for the Chagim that, ju- that we just came through as worn out in some ways that, that we are. It's also the blessing of having spent that time with you if we did it right. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Yeshua Messiah. Amen. Please rise for the Elenu.